Well, I don't, I don't think you can get outside of your own experiences and your own opinions and your own thoughts if you don't trust somebody to let you do that, right? And so when you're uh, talking about relationships, uh, you know, relationships move at the speed of trust. Sometimes I say uh, in ministry, I say trust is the currency of ministry. So and, unless you love and trust each other, then you really can't move together in, in a unity in any way, shape or form. And I did not say uniformity. I said unity. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Intersection a podcast that takes a real look at how race and relationships intersect. We will look at how our unique and diverse lives intersect with thousands of people on a regular basis and how the gospel intersects with each facet and issue that we face. Join us as we look at how we can set our eyes on the life of Christ as a source of compassion for each of our relationships. Our hosts include Pastor Jeff Bogue, Senior Pastor at Grace Church of Greater Akron, Bishop Joey Johnson, Founder and Senior Pastor at the House of the Lord, and Pastor Coach Kemp Boyd, Co-Pastor at Garden City Church and Executive Director for Love Akron. Keep listening as we cross paths on today's episode of The Intersection. All right, good to see everybody. Um, as always, I'm flanked by Bishop Johnson and Pastor Jeff Bowe two friends, two allies in this who I love, and hopefully they love me back. You know, it can be questionable some days. We'll see. Uh, but also, we got a we got a special guest with us today, Dr. Hawk. How you doing, my man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good to hey, be with you all. Hey, man, listen, Dr. Hawk, I don't know if you're brave or I don't know if you ain't thinking with wisdom, but you decided to join us again. So, hey... Thank you for coming on this great ride that we, we like to call the intersection. So you have intersected with us again. And so we're just excited about having you, man. All right. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm uh, feeling good about intersecting. <laughs> Absolutely. Just as long as there's no math involved. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So let me, let me catch you up a little bit, Dr. Hoffman, with what we talked about last time. We kind of ended um, our last podcast talking about the importance of trust and what that looks like and we were sharing some of how we trust one another. Um, Bishop Johnson says, hey, I trust that Pastor Jeff Bowe would never do anything intentionally to hurt me. Now that might've changed since then. We ain't been <laughs> on a long time, so we haven't talked. So hopefully Bishop still feels that way. And, and what was great was, is the comment that Jeff, Pastor Jeff made when he says, hey, listen, it's because of trust, I allow myself to consider all things that we had discussion versus just shutting them down, which was a great thing. It helps remove barriers and tear down some of those walls and keep the walls of hostility down that Jesus tore down for us way, way, way back when. Okay. And so as always, Pastor Jeff and mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Hawk, Bishop never leaves us and just gets off. He always leaves us with this, the seed dropping moment to where he says, Hey, listen, there was a quote by Stephen Fowle that said, you can't do theology with enemies. You can only do it with friends. So, Bishop, I'm going to usher you in because 
we're going to talk about that today, but I want to know, what is that saying? What does that mean? Come on, help us. Well, um, I'm, I'm, I hate to say this to Northeastern Ohioans, but I'm still in Florida, forgive me. And um, <laughs> uh, I'm watching the news and they've got a don't say gay bill um, that's up for a referendum that you can't talk about LGBTQ issues if you're, I think it's below the third grade. They have um, legislative issues on the docket with um, um, dealing with racism and, and all of that stuff. And it's so divided that I'm wondering how you can get anything done when you don't trust anybody for anything. Our country is almost in gridlock in Washington, D.C. because of the inability to trust. And then when you add on top of that, I'm reading in the book of Numbers right now as I read through the Bible and I just read a book on Numbers. And you're dealing with trust issues there where there are multiple failures. And God said to Moses, it's about you trusting me. And you, you didn't show and trust enough, trust me enough to show me, show me as holy before the people. Trust just keeps coming up over and over. So how do we do reality? How do we talk about um, racial, ethnic issues with people that we don't trust? I think we try it. I don't think it works very well. And I think it trust is extremely important in this process. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. What everything that's happening, everything that's going on, it is is a trust thing. And so, you know, I want to want to kind of pin that back on you, Pastor Jeff. When we talk about trust and all the things that Bishop just mentioned, again, Bishop just dropped that on us. We we ain't even talking about doing theology with friends because Bishop don't even talk about that. He brings all these other things up. But hey, he's taking <laughs> us where we got to go. Which, you know, all right, let's just go there. Let's lean into that. How does trust, Pastor Jeff, play a role in some of the things that Bishop's talking about here? Well, I don't I don't think you can get outside of your own experiences and your own opinions and your own thoughts if you don't trust somebody to let you do that, right? And so when you're uh, talking about relationships, uh, you know, relationships move at the speed of trust. Sometimes I say uh, in ministry, I say trust is the currency of ministry. Mm. So and, unless you love and trust each other, then you really can't move together in, in a unity in any way, shape or form. And I did not say uniformity. I said unity. Um, so so when you talk about theology it is one of the things we were talking about. I can move together with you in unity and not agree with you theologically because I don't have to be in step with you in uniformity, right? We don't, we don't have to be nailed. I can have my views, my convictions, my opinions. Uh, you can have yours. But I, if I don't trust you, I will not let you speak into those things. I cannot let you speak into those things because I'm going to view you as a threat. And I'm going to view your opinion as an attack, which is what Bishop was saying about Washington and, and things like that. Everything's a threat. Everything's an attack. There's probably legitimacy in, in that. Like both sides are trying to 
wipe each other out, but it's what frustrates us often. If, if you're a thoughtful person, uh, you look and have thoughtful conclusions and realize that usually each side of the aisle is out of a bounds that they don't really need to be in. And there's, we would often say there's a common sense solution, but they won't come to it. I would say that same thing like, like applies to marriage. It applies to raising kids. It, it's all trust. And if I can hear you and talk to you and contemplate, and then if you'll trust me back, I can communicate. Like I do this with my kids. Like there's a reason behind my, their dad's yes and their dad's no, right? And if we can communicate that, and then there's a, a reason behind their desire, marriage. And then theology is the same way. Like we would look and say, unless you're just wacky, like our politicians tend to be, but if you're a, a thoughtful theologian, there's a conviction, there's a biblical path, there's a logic that brought you to that construct I don't have to agree with it, but I'm probably going to understand God more and probably even maybe have even a broader uh, conviction about my point of view by listening and considering yours, right? And so if trust just allows that conversation to happen, um, there's not a downside to it. Most of the time when somebody's defensive, it's because they're insecure, and so they, they, can't, they can't thoughtfully consider that someone's opinion outside of their own could be right or wrong. And it's because they actually haven't deeply formed their own point of view. And so there are, they view you as a threat instead of, a, of a, a different glimpse of it. So I look at like uh, Dr. Hawk and I look at Bishop, I'm sure we don't align bullseye down the, the line theologically but I would look and say, I, I love them. I trust them. I've known Bishop a lot longer, Doc, so no offense, but like I trust him more, right? We don't line up theologically, but I, I love where I, I know he approaches his view of the scripture from a love for Christ and out of a reverence for the scripture. So there's a reason he has his conviction. And like Joey would trust that about me, I'm the same way. There's a reason I have my conviction. So I'm only going to understand the scripture more and the heart of God more as I understand those reasons and those perspectives. But you have to be grounded and you have to love each other to do that. So somebody knows a little bit about theology, I think just a little bit. Um, Dr. Hawk, how, how you weighing in on this? Because here's what I see. I see right now what's going on in our, in our world yeah, like there, there's the world discussion, the world issues, but I also see the body of Christ issue. And I see that our theology is allowed, it's the theology that we have, with the exception of Bishop and Pastor Jeff, it's actually tearing us apart. It actually has become a little bit more divisive from what I'm seeing happen. Um, just in a conversation today with, well, no, I'm sorry, it was a week ago with someone talking about how they were bashing another believer because they, they believed from a standpoint of Pentecostal theology. So my, my question to you, Dr. Hawk, is, is, is our theology and how we view it, is it tearing the body of Christ more apart versus bringing us together? Well, that's a great question. Um, and I would say that theology today 
in a lot of parts of the church, theology like politics is a contact sport. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a, I'm, I'm gonna win type mm. of operation. So a lot of theology is an, an argument about who's right and who's wrong and, and I'm gonna be right. And this argument about theology is all about me talking about how you're wrong. Uh, and uh, it, it seems to me that, that the church in so doing has imbibed a lot of the polarized way that our culture right now is defining people and relationships and issues. Um, so it's, it, it's really, it's, we place people into either or camps. So even, even in the way that, that we frame this kind of title, how do you do th theology with an enemy? Um, or uh, with a friend as opposed to an enemy. Well, how about folks in between? Um, you, know, right, you know, could I do theology with frenemies? Um, and, you know, in a sense, it, it, who, is my, who is my enemy? And, and, and how do I determine who my enemy is? Which is a variation, it seems to me, of, of the question, who is my neighbor? Um, so, but we, we, it just seems to me, and I, I so appreciate Jeff, what you were sharing. I'm, it, it, I, I'm resonating with you all the way. And I'm just thinking, man, that's, that's really hard uh, in this culture. How, how do we as Christians move past and, and cast off and heal from this kind of either or me against you um, way of thinking that has just so much captured us. And, and, and as you say, it's, it's, it's ripping the body of Christ apart. And, and as someone who actually teaches scripture and interpretation and that type of thing, I, I just think it, one of Satan's greatest victories right now over the church is that he succeeded in taking that gift, the Bible, which God gives to unite Christians and has made it the greatest instrument uh, for, for dividing Christians from each other. Yeah, yeah I, I, when I look at that, I think I very much agree with that. Just the idea that my brother, my assumption with theology is that my brother is my enemy is, is such a false foundation and an ungodly foundation to start the conversation with and there are certainly people who are my um, theological enemies if you are trying to disprove the deity of Jesus Christ or throw away the the authority and the validity of scripture I have to combat you with that right I, I have to speak publicly and I have to push back against that but the stuff I think you're, you're pushing toward, Kemp, is not that. It, it's, it's people who generally would agree about the deity of Christ and even about the validity and the authority of Scripture um, and who are combating over nuances of things. And that's why there's, there's a, a Baptist church and a regular Baptist church and a, and a Southern Baptist church and an American Baptist church. And that's why there's a brother in church and a grace brother in church and a Karis fellowship church. And a, because there were wars sometimes over valid things and a lot of times over nuanced things. And it caused the division. 
if I could start the conversation with you are my brother in Christ and we are united through the Holy Spirit and the convert and off of that foundation, the conversation started with what do we agree upon? Yeah. And, and you take, uh, I, I keep using Bishop as an example because we're friends and we're on the podcast together, but but we would have different theological perspectives about certain things. But I start with the assumption, I have a brother, I have a friend. Uh, Bishop always has my best in, uh, intentions and my, my be best intentions in mind for me, like he wants what's best for me. And then we agree upon so much. And if we, we spend most of our time talking about what we agree upon, we don't usually get to what we don't agree upon. <laughs> like we run out of time. And if we could just flip the conversation a little bit, and then I pastor my church and he pastors his. And, 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 and they're different. And they're different because we have convictions. But we're not at war. I don't have, a, I'm not trying to put him out of business. I know. And, and I think that's where the, the beginning of the relationship, and, and I bet you guys have all done it. You go to a pastor's meeting or a, a, a gathering of Christians, you, you tend to go in defensively with your guard up and you're waiting for the wrong thing to be said. And that's code then for like, oh, I belong or don't belong, or I think or don't think. What we don't do is we don't capture all the right things that are said and, and realize that there's actually much more unity uh, than there is disunity but we don't we don't allow ourselves to start there or get there unfortunately yeah. let's uh pastor brother jeff thanks so much I, I agree with both you and dr hawk and what you are putting forth is very powerful let's go back to the very beginning and i think it'll make more sense for what it is that we're uh, the context that we are we started it and what we're trying to do in this podcast, you have a nation that takes slaves and treats them with no love, treats them without relational integrity, and yet seeks to support that behavior with biblical principles and texts. Now, here is the, we're still doing that today. Here is the problem. The problem is not rationally what I think the Bible says, but relationally how I interact with people and what I believe that ultimately the text and the word in the Bible is all about. Is it about a rational uh, statement of beliefs that have nothing to do with love? Or, or is it about uh the love of Jesus Christ and of God. And I think that's the reason we're in such trouble today because that's the trump card. What I believe, what I think is right rather than love. Uh, and I don't think you have to have one or the other, but I just think that's where we are. Yeah, hmm. yeah our whole approach of the the way that we study scripture, the way that we interact with scripture, the way that uh, a normal pastor is trained. You know, I, um, I was trained to study the text, dissect the text, understand the language of the text, get the sentence structure of the text. 
and there's value in all of that. I don't, I don't want to downplay it. I mean, uh, the, uh, you know, that we're all highly educated. I have a, my doctorate, you know, I, we're all highly educated. There's great, great value in that. But I used an example the other day, my, uh, my wife's mother passed away uh, about, it was about 20 years ago now. She was only in her mid fifties and she kept prayer journals. So when my wife misses her mom, she'll often read her prayer journals and she doesn't read those to see the sentence structure, the categories of prayer. She reads those to remember and to know the heart and the mind of her mother, which is the point of the word of God. The word of God reveals the heart and the mind of God. Theology and doctrine is human structure to that process. And it's not bad. I don't wanna, I don't wanna be misunderstood. It's not bad, it's, it can be very, very healthy, but it is still human structure, which means that there is no perfect theology and doctrine and no thoroughly complete theology and doctrine because it's us structuring a perfect relational interaction between our creator and us, right? So that means, it doesn't mean that I have to be wishy-washy and everything goes. I have my convictions and I, I I'm stubborn about it. I won't move off of them. But what it means is my convictions aren't perfect. And when I have another brother that has a, another conviction about the same God that we both love, hearing his heart or a sister or her heart and hearing their heart on it is only going to help me know the heart of God in a deeper way. Praise God. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Go ahead, go ahead, Dr. Hall. No, no, you, you go and then I'm- yeah, No, 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 I'm getting ready to say something profound. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm gonna disappoint you there. <laughs> so um, Bishop, I wanna pick up because I think you're pressing at a really important uh, question. Uh, and, and it leads me to, to ask and to think about um, how our view of the Bible, what the Bible is, how it shapes the life of the church, how it shapes and guides infallibly Christian faith and, and, and practice, uh, how we interpret the Bible, um, is, is wrapped up more in kind of our stuff than, than we really know. So here's where I'm going with that. So I was thinking, uh, Pastor Jeff, while you were talking, you know, one of the predominant ways that that um, we think about Scripture in our culture is that the Bible is a textbook, yeah, and and its 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 role is to give me the right information so I can I can um, you know I could I can believe the right things I can make the right decisions I can live the right way, uh, and and if you think that that the Bible is basically about giving you the information you need, then you develop a way of interpreting that is basically, well, here are, here are the principles, here are the ideas, here are the structures. And you've got to develop, uh, Pastor, as you were talking about, you've got to develop that, it, which is a good, it's it, it, that method of exegesis that says, I really want to make sure that I'm getting the information right. 
And there's a lot of good with that. But I think the, the other piece is that's really important. And I'm, I, I'm sorry, I'm gonna get a little controversial here maybe, but one of, the, one of the things we have to recognize is that is that's a way of thinking that was developed by uh, basically white guys. Um, it reflects their thinking and it has some social implications. So it, it for example, allows, um, if, if, if this is all just about information uh, and principles, then, then what God is concerned about mainly is principles and information. And, and you put your focus on principles and you take your focus off loving the, the loving God and loving your neighbors, which is at the core of what the Bible reveals to us. And what that allows you to do is in ways that you recognize or don't recognize, it allows you to maintain a certain, it, mean, it allows you to maintain a position. Uh, and it, it um, so getting back to Bishop's uh, example, it allows you to say as the Southern slaveholders did, um, well, um, yeah, African people are enslaved but you know, there's no principle in the scripture, the way they read it, that said uh, this is necessarily a bad thing. And in fact, um, slavery is a good thing because there are all of these benefits. And it's all predicated on this idea of using scripture in a principled fashion that gives the, gives the delusion that I'm being objective and I'm being rational and I'm teaching when in fact, there's some, there's some pretty deep investment I have in maintaining my position of, of, of privilege and power in this, in this situation. Now, I may have gotten geeky on all of you and I apologize for that, but that's kind of where I'm going. Uh, that's, that's good stuff. I, I, I think that I'll be a little bit more uh, controversial because um, Jeff doesn't want to be, so I, 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 I will be. Um, what, what is the Bible? Periodically, we have to just go back and say what it is. And that creates all kinds of issues because I don't think the Bible is a rational book. It wasn't written in that, from that perspective, even though that's the way we may be treating it. Um, it is not a rule book. And I would, I would hazard to guess that most Christians use the Bible as a rule book. Let's go in here. Let's find what the rules are. Here's what God says we need to do. Here's what we can't do. That's not what it is. The Bible, to me, is predominantly a narrative on relationship with God and one another. It's stories about how we ought to live. And from the very beginning, um, you have a white majority telling slaves that they ought to be enslaved and that that is biblical. And you have slaves who have little literacy knowing from the beginning that can't be the way the God of heaven operates. Now you got a major dichotomy, an educated part of the society telling an uneducated part 
this is what the Bible says. And we want to fight about that and talk about it. And I'll just be more um, controversial. I think the book is about love. It's about the love of God. Um, yes, we have to exegete it. Yes, we have to read the text. But what we're reading, uh, brother um, Jeff, don't, don't, like you'll still be my friend after I say this. So what we are reading, what we're doing is creating modern interpretation of ancient texts that were written thousands of years ago to a different society and culture and saying that this is exactly what it means. That's ridiculous to begin with. Yeah, the, um, there's parts of that I agree with and parts I wouldn't. And so the, the parts that I agree with is I do believe the Bible is predominantly a revelation of the heart and the mind of God. And I don't believe it's a textbook. You know, the, I grew up in a tradition that they would say the B-I-B-L-E, it's say a basic instructions before leaving earth. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> it, it's, not a, it's not an instruction manual. It's not an academic book. If you're treating it that way, um, then you're wrong. If you think your knowledge of the Bible is the equivalent to spiritual maturity, you're wrong. The demons know the Bible. They're not spiritually mature. So spiritual maturity is life change. It's not knowledge. I think I think where I look at it, though, Pastor Jeff, at, you're preaching right now. I'm about to I say know. amen and take up an offering. I'm going to take an offering in a minute. I'm about ready to contribute to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, where I don't know that we disagree, but like what I would add to that is I do believe God's word is alive and active. And so I do believe that it is rightly interpreted when approached honestly and led by the Holy Spirit. It, it can be and is rightly interpreted to the generations that it interacts with and even the cultures. So you have slave owners who interpreted it falsely. You know, they would just preach on Philemon. See, you got to be a happy slave, right? But then you would have abolitionists who interpreted the same word correctly. And that was the same generation. And one interpretation corrected a false interpretation. And so I believe that that is how the, 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 um, the scripture works. You have uh, a, a powerful culture that interpreted that we should go commit genocide to Native Americans, and we're doing the work of God. That's what Manifest Destiny is all about. You have a, another and the same culture that would say we need to bring care and love and support to these abused, displaced people. And that is the same scripture speaking to a same generation, one correcting the ills of the other, at least attempting to do that. So I believe, I believe that the, uh, the ancient stories and understanding the backgrounds is important, but that the word comes alive given the culture and the system that it shows up with. So when my, my wife is Brazilian, when my wife and her family heard the word of God in Brazil, in all of its cultural contexts, it was alive in that place, dealing with issues that my family in, who grew up in Southern Ohio was not dealing with. 
So I, I think that's, the, and, and I think both of those things, if you don't allow for that, that's where people get wacky. So you take like the, to your point, Dr. Hogg, like the, if you don't do the exegesis work, you reach some crazy uh, conclusion like it's okay to own a human being. And if you don't do the exegesis work, you reach another crazy conclusion of God is just for me and what happens to other people is not my problem. And somewhere in that, that work of trying to understand the scripture, you come to the healthy place that I think reflects the heart and the mind of God. Brother Jeff, I want to ask a question because I'm not sure I'm understanding you. Are, are you saying, I, I don't want to misinterpret you, people who believed in slavery and some crazy perspectives arrived there without doing exegesis? Uh, I think they did incorrect exegesis. Yes, if they did any at all. I think they saw something in the Bible that reinforced their wickedness and their own opinions and desires and then used the Bible to prove themselves right. Okay, and the reason I'm asking that because I want to understand that because I don't want to miss... Uh, quote you or misinterpret you because some of the most trenchant uh, off stuff is believed by people who believe they are doing the deepest exegesis yeah. possible. And I would wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying, but I, I rather than using the terms right and wrong, uh, which I think create all kinds of problems, I would probably use the word priority. What, what, are, what are the priorities here? What are the biblical priorities What's most important here? Um, and if we get into right and wrong, we're just going to be locked. There, yeah. There's no place to go there um, because people think they're right or they think they're wrong for whatever, for many, many, many reasons. But if we look at priorities, maybe we could agree on some of the priorities that the Bible is really more about relationship than it is about being right or rules. Now we can say that, then we've got to have enough love to prioritize it, work it out, talk to one another, do all the things that we say we believe. Yeah, and, and I, I like that idea of priorities. Um, and then I would look at the scripture and say, well, Jesus said it. He set the priority. Love me, your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbors, yourself, all law, all prophets hang on that commandment. So when I, if I'm wrestling with slavery and I'm living in the 1600s or whatever, you know, and I'm, and I'm wrestling with, with slavery, I'm looking at a human being who cares about the color of their skin. I would look at a human being if I'm, a, if I'm truly seeking the scripture and I'm saying, how do I love that human being? What does that love for that human being look like? But well, then the Apostle Paul defines it in 1 Corinthians 13. And then I'm looking and saying, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love is itself seeking. Is any of that defining my relationship with this human being who I own and I abuse, who has to work for me? And, and it by, by approaching the scripture, by the, the definitions and the priorities, I like that word of Jesus, my rationale for the exegesis of slavery goes away immediately because I don't have a way to express love 
to something that I own. That's how the people would have thought of that. It, you know, uh, slaves weren't people. They were a, a horse. And so how do I, how do I interact with a piece of property and love? I can't, which that, that exegesic work is what would have driven, I know it's not purely driven, but it's what would have driven the abolitionist who are saying, wait a minute, this is, this is vile and wicked and wrong. But I agree strongly um, like if you ever want to see somebody who knows the Bible inside now, talk to somebody who is uh, really, really into um, eschatology or talk to a cult leader <laughs> and they will run circles around you with the Bible, but they weren't seeking the heart of God. I think Jesus defines where to start with that. Yeah. You know, I, I guess one of the questions of this, Pastor Kemp, this is for next time, because we're not going to get there today. But is Christianity, is the priority of Christianity um, exegeting the text, or is it having a relationship with God? That's right. And when you begin to deal with uh, African Americans, it creates another whole paradigm shift. So I've got uh, mothers who can't read, but who know Jesus better mm -hmm. than people who can exegete the text in Greek, Hebrew, and uh, Aramaic, and any other languages that may be found. Um, but they don't, they're not demonstrating any love of God or any deep relationship with God. So how do, how do you evaluate then? Uh, you've got a person here who uh, did not have can't read or whatever, but they still have a relationship with God. We're, got, we're not going to even go, Pastor Kemp, you're writing this down, that the <laughs> early church, early church had no text. That's right. How did they, how did they have a relationship with God with no Bible? Now, now, well, with no, Joe, no New Testament. Yeah, no New Testament. No New Testament. And, and let me make and, all... And I'm saying, so so that I won't be misunderstood, and peasants who may not have had access to anything. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And if I, if I want to watch all of my conservative, uh, theologically conservative friends tighten up right now, let me add to what Bishop is saying and say, uh, how do you not have a New Testament how are you predominantly illiterate? Christianity was a, a, a religion to the poor, the prostitute, the tax collector, the outcast before it was ever, you know, a run, run a state. And then what's the role of the Holy Spirit in that? Because when you when you read the the uh, Acts, when you're watching the church be birthed, it was all about the Holy Spirit and the apostles teachings. Right. But we. Um, I have a great friend, uh, a good friend named Francis Chan. He likes to say, it's not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and understanding those balances, you want, to talk, you want to talk theology, start talking about the Holy Spirit, and we'll, we'll sit here for the rest of the week. <laughs> well, the Bible, the Bible is not mainly information about God. It is a vehicle for revealing God. And I think that's 
pretty much bringing us into a dynamic encounter with the transforming work of the Holy Spirit as, as the Spirit reaches out to us through Scripture. Uh, and, and, and we say yes. Um, I, I, I'm tracking uh, and resonating with a lot of the direction that this is going, but, but um, here's, here's a, piece, a, a, a piece of discomfort that I have. So cycling back to the, um, these, the, the Southern slave owners were interpreting the Bible you know, incorrectly, which, which I, I agree with wholeheartedly. Um, and, and they, they didn't, they didn't, if I'm you know, um, understanding you correctly, they, they just didn't make the connection that this is about loving. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't um, center in on, on God's priority for, for loving other human beings as you love yourself and, and warped scripture and interpretation, therefore, in some really harmful, horrible, destructive ways. Um, and, and, and absolutely, my discomfort is, is that um, there, was, there was in the 1840s, 1850s, right up into uh, the Civil War period, there was a battle for the Bible. We talk about the battle for the Bible that happened in the 70s. There was one back then as well. And it, it basically was between the Southern slaveholders who were upholding the authority of scripture against radical abolitionists who were beginning with the notion of universal humane values and then interpreting scripture in a way that 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 lined up with those universal humane values so liberal unitarians and liberal congregationalists and so there was a there was a fight there and and the point that i'm 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 getting to is that it just didn't occur to anyone until after all of what happened the the Civil War and 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 the you know the abolitionists—it just never occurred to anyone that um, to argue on the fundamental basis that all humans are created in the image of God. Um, that was an argument that came after the after the fact, and indeed, a lot of the Southern slave owners really did, and I, I believe that they probably sincerely believed that they were loving slaves. Now, I'm not talking about the abusive ones, but there were an awful lot of slave owners who said, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm loving these people. They had these, these God awful uh, assumptions in their heads about African people. Uh, and did the same thing, by the way, with, with indigenous North Americans. Kind of, you know, these these are backward folk, and they need our help, and we know how to help them. And and the discomfort for me comes in when I think about that. Um, just asking myself and wanting to continue to interrogate my own assumptions, and that's where I think I'm I'm pulling it back. This is why I need to be in conversation and do theology yeah. with with brothers 
whom I really trust, um, who aren't, aren't in there to, to, to grind in ideological acts, but really want to help me uh, see some of the assumptions that I'm carrying forward that I don't, may not even know that I have, that keep me from loving Jesus genuinely and authentically. Dr. Hawk, you, you are bringing and touching on assumptions that have been around for thousands of years that we don't want to face. We are about to get here, we're almost there, yeah. where we are dealing with how did America, what were the assumptions that undergirded the, the beginning of America? Now, we don't want to talk about that. I mean, let's just be, let's be, be honest. A lot of people don't want to talk about that. We're assuming that these early people, whatever their assumptions were, they were godly. They, no, they weren't. They were about power and keeping certain people in their place. That's what it was about. So until we're ready to talk about that, then we come to the day we're facing the very same assumptions. They're not different. And the thing that we don't want to do, I think, in Christian, in, 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 even in our Christian circles, is call racism what it is. You will very seldom hear this. Why don't you call it sin? Yeah, and I, 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 um, I find it fascinating when, um, what am I trying to say here? When you talk about these assumptions, I think I would be a, a pastor, I hope I am, that would be quick to call racism sin. I've done it. I think, um, I don't, uh, Joe, you've said many times, you said, I, I don't think most white people are um, racist. I think they're ignorant or they're blind, you know? And I think that what has happened, what when I look at my own life, I'm like, yeah, that's true. I I haven't thought about things from that perspective before. When a friend, who uh, the wounds of a friend are helpful, right? So when a friend brings that to my attention, that unlocks those underlying assumptions that I didn't even know I had. To me, I'm just living life and, and what's normal is normal, right? So when I look and say um, uh, that's abnormal and Joey or Kemp or whoever looks at me and says, well, from your perspective, from our perspective, that's very normal. I'm like, oh, I guess I did think of that as right or wrong. I never thought about it from the perspective you just gave me. Now those dominoes start to fall. Um, I think that that is critical. And, and I, we've said this many times, if the church of Jesus Christ cannot do that, then nobody can do that. And what happens is when, when you start to see that, what you do to other people, you usually see it when it's done to you. So I, I told you guys one time, like, and we were talking, I said, I've never thought of myself as a white evangelical Christian until you guys said that to me. I don't think that way. And so I'm like, oh, 
that's what having assumption feels like, <laughs> right? And it, it unlocks those things, but it's, it, it's in the relational trust that those things can be said, they can be accepted, they can be pushed into. I don't know what, what would be um, another idea for us to talk about even in the future is how in the world do you get through these trust barriers? Um, you know, out, absolutely. Out, yeah, because yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, um, Kip, while you're writing that down, one of the things that we're that's coming up is the complexity of what we are talking about. Yeah, we, we are talking in generalities because that's I mean, it's, it's that kind of discussion. But we're talking about. Let's go to the beginning again. We're talking about people who were evil. And enslaved folks. We talk about people who were not, that's not what they were. They just didn't, they refused to fight or they weren't gonna get into battle. We talked about abolitionists who there have always been whites who have stood up for values for people and, and, and for love and for right. There are, so we can't use this broad brush because there are many stripes here, and that's what we're facing today, where you're looking at there is a, an element in America that has been unleashed by certain cultural powers that are as strident about racism as there has ever been. And then there is a whole group of people who they just have not even thought about it. Yeah. Okay, so those are different groups. They're not the right. same group. Um, and, and I think, and, and to be honest with you, when I look at um, some of the people who are as strident about racism as they've ever been, they're actually not dealing with their own personal racism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they found a cause and a bandwagon, but they're not wrestling with this in their heart. They just feel like they're on the right side of something because when it shows up, I, I, uh, I talk about this when it comes to our, uh, our commitment to poverty. I can, lots and lots of people will sit around and talk about how unjust and how unsocial, how unsocially just our economic system is, but they do that while they're eating a $15 burrito with their friends. <laughs> so they, they haven't personalized that. They're like, this is what's wrong with the system. I'm like, the system just reflects the heart of the people. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a different, the yeah. complexity is my point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm, I'm giving Kemp for the next time. <laughs> Some of the people who are most strident about racism and most racist are people in the church. Yeah. That's something we need to discuss. Kemp, if I just keep giving you things to write down for me, will you do it like you do bitches? <laughs> No, don't even do it for him. I wrote, I wrote yours down. Only yeah. for me. Well, I need I, I to stop at the store and get some stuff. Could you write that down for me? <laughs> well, hey, but I think, you know, I'm writing down because I think your point, Jeff, is really valid because we have, Pastor Jeff, we have to get to the point where, you know, we're talking about, you know, how do we get through these trust barriers? How do we get through it? How do we get to this solution based in focus on what we're talking about? Um this is always really good. Um, I think the priority of the Christian church is it to exit Jesus or is it relationship? Because in both of those things, there's power in both of them. 
but are, are we putting one over the other? Um, I think some, some might say yes, some might say no. Um, but these are all good things. I think we have to continue to not only pray through, but we have to be able to talk through honestly, um, and I think in humbly, but also it's very transparency because I think there is, um, this is kind of what led us down this road. There's some hurt behind some of these things. And so healing has to come forth, right? The only way healing can come forth is, is that if I'm, if I'm given the platform to really speak my truth, um, and we're all pastors here, so we've all counseled married couples. And a lot of times when we see married couples, there's always one who is not having been given the authority or the allowance of to really speak their truth. So therefore healing never happens. And so I think for healing to happen as a church, and as far as some of us in the body of Christ, we have to be able to speak so that, so that I allow healing to come in myself. Um, and I think a lot of the things that we've experienced as the church, and I think white, black, and brown brothers and sisters is the fact that I think we grieve when we see the church the way that it stands and the way that it is today. There's a grief associated with it. So we're grieving it, which is saying, man, is there going to be a process coming for us all soon that we can now lament corporately in a unified way to have a place of lament for some of the atrocities that have happened that all of us have spoke about today when we talk about slavery and the slave owner and how we've mishandled the word because that's a grievous type of thing. So um, as always, I want to thank um, Pastor Jeff Bogue, um, Bishop Johnson, just for the candid conversations that grow us all and that have us all think a little bit more about who we are and where we are right now in the body of Christ. Thank you so much, Dr. Hawk, for being a part of our discussion. Look forward to having you back next time with us as well as we continue to intersect with one another and as we look at how the gospel, how the kingdom intersects with all these different things that are going on in our lives right now, today, currently. So thank you so much for being with us and we'll see you next time. Any parting words for the audience, people? Anything, anything? Nothing. Great. Nothing. Trusting God and one another. That's right. Trusting God, trusting one another. Hey, love. Let's. I want to say this. Let's just love Christ. Hey, the Bible is not instructional. It's not an instruction manual. It's a love story That's between right. a father to his children and about his children. So let's hey, let's go into it with that mindset. Thank you so much, each and every one of you. We appreciate you. Love you, and we'll sign off. And we'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of The Intersection, where we look at how everything intersects and brings us all back to Jesus. You can subscribe and follow us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. You can reach out to us with questions or comments at intersection at That's intersection at And we'll see you next time at The Intersection.